Welcome to the Dirtback State of Mind podcast from the Climbing Zine. This is a conversation with Kaya Lindsay. Kaya is a contributor to the Climbing Zine. She wrote a poem for volume 21 that she reads here in this episode. And she's also has a photographer has a photo published in there and um, can see her contributing to the zine for many years to come. She's probably best well known for her One Chick Travels uh, YouTube series of videos on van life. And in those videos, she specifically focuses on women living in vans and the different build outs and different stories. And it's really a cool series. Um, and there's just so much, so many detailed things in there for people that are interested in that. And she's also a pillar of the climbing community and um, quite the climber too. We went up to the crack house the following day and uh, she's a quite humble crusher. I was really impressed with her and, and some of her friends we went up there with, uh, including Madison Brandt, who also contributes to the climbing zine. And I really enjoyed this conversation with Kaya. We are in the midst of our Keep the Zine Alive campaign. Uh, we've had some print advertising um, cutbacks from several companies, just kind of shifting around how they advertise. And we've also had increases in shipping and printing prices. So we're trying to make up for that by encouraging, we're trying to get a thousand new subscribers to the Climbing Zine. And we're also pushing our Patreon campaign, which some of you have already joined. We're grateful for that. And we're just trying to get up to a thousand dollars a month. Pretty modest amount. Um, kind of looking around at the other climbing podcasts. And I think we can definitely achieve that. So be sure to look in the show notes to support the climbing zine and to support this podcast. This episode is sponsored by Osprey Packs. Osprey and the climbing zine share the same backyard. Located just down the road from Durango and Cortez, Osprey makes innovative, high-performance gear that reflects a love of adventure and devotion to the outdoors. High-quality packs for any adventure and season. We are proud to share a home in the Four Corners region of Southwest Colorado and the infinite outdoor opportunities that exist here. To find out more, visit Osprey.com. This episode is also sponsored by Edelrid. These days I've got more and more Edelrid gear on my rack from the bulletproof carabiners with the steel inserts, aluminum carabiners with steel inserts. They're great for your anchor draws and they're great for the first quick draw on a sport route. I'm also rocking the Swift Protect rope. I got a 70 and an 80. It's the best thin rope I've ever used. Both of these ropes have had countless whippers on them and they're still going. Edelrid is also making big strides on sustainability, lowering their chemical usage, lowering their carbon dioxide emissions. You can find out more about their environmental initiatives and their awesome products at climbgreen.com. All right, let's get into this conversation with Kaya Lindsay. So we are sitting here in a hotel room in Moab, and I'm with Kaya Lindsay. Thanks for getting me out of Durango and getting me up to Moab for uh, a January uh, beautiful weekend. Of course. Yeah. We were just talking before the mics turned on. Um, and one of the reasons I wanted to speak with you is you just seem like a very community-oriented climber. And before we kind of get into uh, what we love about the climbing community and we, what we love about our people, um, I want you to read this poem that was uh, published in uh, the New Zine, Volume 21. Oh, I think this poem, I called it Climber Girl. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I called it Climber Girl. Yeah. 
You can do it, climber girl, no matter what they say. You may not be as tall. You may not be as strong. You may not feel a scene. But you have bravery that they can never know. You have a tenacity unlike anything they've ever seen. You have heart. You have courage. And you have the will. Keep going, climber girl. Fucking send it. Awesome. Thank you. That was great. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. I like that. I think I wrote that sitting at the base of a route like that I had just struggled on. And I had watched like one of my friends who's a guy who's like taller than me and has big hands. Uh, just like easily. He, he like floated it. And I was just sitting there and I was like, fuck, this sucks so much. Like, like, and you know, I don't want to make excuses for myself because like we all know that short climbers like are also capable and like been powerful. But like, I do think that for a lot of things being tall and having big hands particularly in the creek is like a benefit and so I just remember sitting at the base of a route just being like you know what like I don't have a reach and like I don't have big hands but I'm really stubborn and like I <laughs> I have a lot of tenacity and like I can do this <laughs> and so I wrote that poem kind of for myself but also for all the other girls that I run into out in the world who are just like fuck I can't climb as hard as my boyfriend and I'm like you can you have tenacity you have heart yeah. You just got to keep it at, keep at it. So you wrote that at the crag? Um, yeah. Or inspired? It like, was either at the crag or it was yeah. inspired like by you the crag. Maybe you wrote it in your head. Do you, are you a type of writer that like writes in your head first? Um, yeah. Sometimes yeah. I will like think of something. Um, but my notes app, I mean, I don't know if you saw me. I was looking for the poem before uh, we found it on your Instagram, but I was looking through my notes app and it is just like, these are all like <laughs> things that I have written <laughs> that I am trying to like get out of my head. I have the same thing in my notes. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so for people listening, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with your, um, your YouTube channel, um, one chick travels and, uh, your other social media. Um, and I'm trying to remember how our paths first cross. And I feel like in this day and age, certain things just like I, I can't remember how we first connected but it could have been you sending me stories for the zine perhaps yeah I mean I I followed the zine on Instagram forever ago um and so I've been keeping up to date with what you have been writing and putting out for a while and I've been reading the zine forever um but yeah, I don't remember when we connected. I did send you a story at one point, and I think you were like, this isn't relatable. <laughs> and I was like, that's fair. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. I don't yeah. mean to say that. I don't mean to call you out. I just mean that like that's a very normal part of like submitting your writing to places is like you submit something, and then the, the person's like, hmm, this isn't what we're looking for. Okay, um, okay. But I think yeah, I sent yeah, you yeah. something, and then... Um, but I know I there was something something in the work that you create that I was, I was like kind of put a pin in it. Like, I like... Kaya's work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think your 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 critique was more of the subject, not necessarily of the writing. Like you were just kind of like, oh, right. this piece isn't particularly good for us, but like keep sending us stuff because like it is like I like your work. Cool. And then yeah. I think I just sent you that poem. I don't remember if I sent you anything else, but yeah, I sent you that poem. Yeah, I think you sent me a couple poems, and I I really yeah. like that one, and for obvious reasons. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you you made your publishing debut in this most recent zine, volume twenty one, and then. You also have a picture of your friend um, Brittany's um, voo tattoo. Yes, I on her know. ass. On her ass. <laughs> yes, that was our last day in Vita Vu together, and we had just spent a miserable ten weeks in Vita Vu, suffering <laughs> out uh, the early stages of the pandemic in quarantine out there because uh -huh. we didn't have anywhere else to go. 
That's great. Yeah, I want I want to come back to to the Vita and and just yeah, people with van, you know, van life, people kind of <laughs> in covid and stuff, but yeah. Um what I think is really cool like and I've spent some time watching your 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 short um one chick travels films and I watched the girls gone wide. But you just seem to really highlight kind of like supporting women and then also building community around your friends. And then also it seems and this is something I like to do with the zine too, is like you kind of have these pen pal friends out in the world that you're doing something for them and they're getting something out of it. By kind of diving into a lot of your videos, I realize like, all right, this is someone who really cares about the community. But I'm very curious where, like how does it all start? Because now you're you're 29, um, you're you're pretty well known in the in the climbing community, but where did you get your spark for like wanting to create things that were valuable to people in the community that's a really good question where did i get my spark for wanting to create things for the climbing community um i think that that would probably be when i started trad climbing because i had been climbing a little bit in the gym i have a very classic origin story i got into it because my boyfriend at the time was getting into it and so i followed him and bouldered in the gym for a long time and where at in Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz, California? Yes. Is that where you grew up? It is. Yeah, cool. Me and uh, Chris Sharma yeah. both started climbing I've heard of the him. same gym, <laughs> yeah. so <laughs> you can write that down. Yeah. <laughs> Legends are born in Santa Cruz. All right, yeah. Chris Sharma, We I just did an interview with Tommy Caldwell, and like throughout the whole interview, Chris Sharma kept coming up. So it's kind of, that's a very zine-like thing, is that one thing leads into another, and like I think you and Brittany and all that, but yeah. we don't need to go too far down the rabbit well, hole. Well, I, I have a long-standing joke that there are only... 50 climbers at any given moment that like we all know each other like if there's only about 50 of us out there really did you write something like that recently no it's just something i've been saying like a friend of mine who was just recently got on the dirtbag community or dirtbag circuit was like I, and then i know this person and this person knows that person and I was <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah there's only like 50 of us out here like, wow, I like that. we all know each other yeah <laughs> um so Santa Cruz the we, boyfriend bought you brought you to the gym yes boyfriend yeah. brought me to the gym i left him there uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, so boyfriend brought me to the gym, and uh, we started building out the van together because of this one chick who was climbing at my gym, and I think she was like bouldering V five in the gym, and I was like, oh my god, that's like the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like this girl is bouldering V five in the gym, and then she was like, yeah, I'm buying a Sprinter van, and I'm gonna move to Bishop for the summer, and it like blew my mind like I was just like like lightning lightning struck me and like I was just like you can just do that like you can just move into your van mm -hmm. and like it 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 revolutionized my whole life and so I dedicated the next year and a half to saving up money my then partner and then we built out the van together and, and um, how old were you at this point uh -huh. 22 or 23 I was pretty yeah. I was fairly young uh-huh and I, I basically was just documenting the process of the van build out. And mm -hmm. so I think like most people actually know me from my van life stuff. Um, and I literally just documented on my website and on YouTube how I built this van. And I did everything from like, here's how I did the sink and the plumbing. And here's how we did the paneling. And here's how we did the electrical. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of where I started making content 
as the cool kids are saying, the content. Once had a New Year's resolution not to say that word anymore, but <laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> or just to say it less. <laughs> Every time I say the word content creator, I cringe a little yeah. bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I so I basically started documenting that process. And then we did a two-month road trip and then came back. And it became very obvious that he did not want to travel and climb full time he Uh wanted to stay home and live in the van for free in my mom's driveway (laughs) and I was like well that's not really why we built out the van Uh so um we broke up and I split the cost I I paid him out of his half of the van um and I drove to Indian Creek alone and I had never left the state on my own before wow like I was 25 or 24 at this point like I was still pretty young mm-hmm. and I drove and the first thing I remember was that there was no one else on the road because I grew up in California and like you drive and there's always traffic and so I remember right. driving through Utah and just being like where is everyone uh-huh. and like on 70 you know uh-huh. and uh and I, I I drove out to Indian Creek and I had no trad gear um I had no trad climbing experience I had like a single 70 meter rope and a bunch of quick draws and I had like no climbing partner. Uh, what made you want to go to Indian Creek? I actually, so yeah, I kind of skipped ahead a little bit, but I met a girl in Joshua tree like two weekends before and just like how the dirtbag circuit works. Mm-hmm. She was like, Oh yeah, next week I'm going to be in Indian Creek. You should come. Here's my number. And she texted me and was like, Oh yeah, we're going to be uh, in Creek pasture. Come find me. Mm-hmm. And I just like drove 2000 miles across <laughs> the country to a campsite in the middle of nowhere. And she wasn't even there oh, when wow. I showed up. <laughs> and you, there's no way to text anyone there's there. No way to there's text. no cell phone service. Yeah, yeah. Completely alone. I had no idea what I was doing. And I drove to Indian Creek, drove to the campsite, looked for her, could not find her. And I like had like a miserable camping night there. And I camped alone at like an empty site and was like paranoid that the rangers were going to come kick me out because I grew up in California and there's no free camping or parking anywhere. Right. Uh, And the next morning I did like the bravest thing I think I've ever done. And also like one of the most important things I've ever done, which was I walked over to the message board and I saw that there was someone looking for a partner and she's is like this girl that's named Sarah. And she said, Hey, like I'm looking for a climbing partner. I'll be here for the next two weeks. And I, like drove to her campsite and was like, are you Sarah? Uh Do you want to go climbing with me? And she was like, yeah. And then she taught me how to trad climb. Wow. I I love that because I I feel like I came across one of your videos recently that was you you retelling that story. But I, I love how you put that out there for everyone because I think that so many things are glorified these days in like van life or Instagram or whatever that like, there's not hardship or there's not loneliness, but I love how you put that out there for the world to kind of see like, Oh, this is how my story started. And now you have tons of friends in the climbing community and you can probably go to a lot of places and find partners, but the, how terrifying it is to kind of go out in the unknown and then be vulnerable. But I love how you put that out there for like the rest of the world to kind of consume. And I'm sure that's like helped a lot of people just have the bravery to kind of just start getting out on the road uh, and climbing and stuff. I hope so. I mean, I'm of the mind of like, I want to be a full person 
mm-hmm. on the internet and I want to show like the whole story. I think we're all really tired of like the perfect social media presence and being like, wow, look how great this person's life is all the time. And so I set out to just be super honest about what I was doing. And to answer, like to go back to your earlier question about when did I start making content for the climbing community, I kind of had a platform of making content for the van life community. And it's just been like a slow transition really from like telling my own story about how I started traveling on my own and then kind of like why I travel on my own and then it was climbing and then I at some point I realized that what I really wanted to see on the internet was all these other women Mm. that I met Mm -hmm. and to be like, they're doing awesome stuff. Mm -hmm. And I I think it's changed a lot in the most recent years. But when I started van life seven, oh my God, six years ago, five and a half years ago, uh, five and something years ago, the only media representation that I saw of people living in their vehicles was like uh, solo dudes or couples. Mm. Like I didn't see any like solo female travelers. And Mm. so when I hit the road, I was really paranoid that it was just going to be me. Mm. And I was going to be like, oh my God, I'm the only woman out here. And like, Mm. what do I, what does that mean? What are the implications? How do I handle this? And then when Mm. I got out there, I realized that like that is so not true. Mm. And like, I think the Creek in particular draws a lot of women. Mm -hmm. And like, I think over the last couple of years, particularly there's been a really strong community of like really strong women who get together in the Creek. Mm -hmm. But yeah, all those, the one chick travels series Mm -hmm. was born out of like me seeing my friend Elise, who I ended up doing one on my friend Katie and Brittany and like all these women who like have these really sick build outs who have like, you know, dedicated their lives to rock climbing or their sport or whatever it is and um, are just crushing it. So yeah, that was kind of, it's all just been a slow transition into like what I've wanted to see on the internet basically. Hmm. And I even, I'm kind of old school, you know, I'm, I'm 43. I'm like an OG, I guess, in, in the climbing world now, but I forget that like van life isn't connected always to climbing and like dirt bagging isn't always connected to climbing. Maybe I'm just like climbing obsessed, <laughs> but like, it, I think it's really interesting that there is a van life culture that is part of climbing, but then there's a van life culture um, that's separate from climbing. And even now I'm seeing like dirt bagging, there's people that call themselves dirt bags that aren't climbers. It just blows my mind, yeah. but it's also cool that this, alternative lifestyle has kind of spread out beyond just a very small group of, of climbers. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know who came first, what chicken or what egg there was. Who ca- I mean, you what might have a better first, understanding the... of that. Like who came first, the dirt bag or the van lifer? <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't know if you have ever seen the Saturday night live, uh, skit with Chris Farley. I have never seen it, but I have You've had heard it of it. At yeah. me <laughs> You're going to live uh, in a van down by the river. I think, when I was a child uh, in the early 90s, that was the portrayal of people living in vans. But the first person that ever took me climbing in 1999 lived out of a van. Um, so I, th- I think it's it's all been a part of it. But um, I, I, I love what you did. And we were talking about this before, um, before we started. I was working with Brittany Gorris to write an article, or she was writing an article for the New Zine, like a really long feature. And I was trying to get a feel for what Brittany was all about and I came across one of your videos and it was like an eight minute video. And it kind of told me everything I needed to know about Brittany in the sense that she's all about the community. But I think you 
did an extremely good job of portraying Brittany in this medium of like storytelling through a short, just a short video. So I think, I think you're really good at it. And I think you're like probably bringing more to the community than you probably realize. So um, I hope so. Yeah. Every once in a while, and I'm sure you have this too with the, the zine, um, every once in a while, someone will message me or like I'll meet someone in person who uh, like is now really obsessed with climbing and they'll tell me like, oh yeah, I saw your video about this one chick who was living in a van from Washington and like that's what inspired me to buy my van and wow. hit the road and now I'm a climber. And like that's always been my dream, really. Yeah. Like that experience to be like you I showed you you could do it and now you're here and like yeah. now you're a part of this thing that I love so much like I don't know I it, the hippie dippy side of me because I grew up in a kind of a hippie family like it's like that's magic like I pulled yeah. that out of the air I just mm -hmm. like I created that you know and mm -hmm. that's just like if I think about it too long it blows my mind yeah well I think it's a, a very selfless thing to do too to create things for people that mean a lot because we we're talking as well before it's like you're you're not getting rich off being a youtube star no. i'm guessing <laughs> and no, plenty of people plenty kids. of people are with with putting out worse content you know so i feel like that's a just an honorable um selfless thing to to create these things for the community and even you know myself as a publisher i need to like seek out stories like that I'm trying not to use the word content <laughs> but i need to find stuff like that too so even like whatever level i'm at with the zine like you're still providing things that enrich my understanding of, of who a person is which i think um yeah it seems like you're, you're being successful with your intention for what you're trying to do for the community so thank you um Appreciate let me ask you was that the original goal was that your first entering the foray of storytelling through creating these videos or have you always been a writer or a poet i have always been obsessed with story i'm a very story heavy family i have like you know i read a lot of comics i play a lot of video games which is a big secret so now it's out there um i play a lot of video games oh man there's a question in our our uh <laughs> campfire questions i might have to alter it because you just revealed your, just your video that. game uh, um, <laughs> interest but <laughs> cool cool um, and i've i used to read so much as a kid fantasy and sci-fi and like i loved like television and movies like my whole childhood like the probably the core memories that i have with my family is like watching battlestar galactica and like you know when i was really little watching the star trek and just like I've always loved a good story. Mm -hmm. um, and the theme that runs through all of those for me is good story. And like, I, mm -hmm. you know, back to the video game thing, like I don't play like Call of Duty because I don't care about that. It's just about like, I need games and things around me that tell really good stories. So mm -hmm. I'm obsessed with good story. Bad writing makes me angry. And I will, I have stopped watching TV shows in the middle of them because the writers have made poor decisions. So that's very important to me. But yeah, like I've always written. I've been journaling every day since I was uh, in fourth grade. Every day. Uh, well, okay, I say every day, the majority of days. Every day in quotes, because yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They like, say people that are like, that classic piece of writing advice is like write every day. And it's like, that's the biggest piece of bullshit ever. You're but, not gonna do it, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, that's, that's super cool. I think journaling is, yeah. whenever I tell people about writing, if you wanna actually be a writer, I, like start with journaling. Yeah. I feel like, yeah. yeah. I've been journaling almost every day since I was in fourth grade. And then, uh, that's incredible by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I kind of think about it sometimes and I'm like, wow, this is actually my life's work. Like when I die, this is the most important thing I've ever written, which 
like feels both important and also daunting. Well, you're young, Kaya. I mean, you might write some. Uh, you might write a best-selling uh, New York Times book. So don't don't discount yourself. Fingers your... crossed. <laughs> Maybe then I'll finally make some money at this. Um, but yeah, I um, I've always written. Uh, creative writing was my favorite thing in high school, and I wrote for myself a lot. So I have a lot of stuff on my blog, and I I think it was out of just like fear that no one would ever want to publish anything that I wrote. And I'm trying to work through that because the, the crux of my writing career is that I have a really hard time receiving criticism, even if it is constructive. You know? yeah. And like, obviously that's true for everyone, but mm -hmm. like I have spent so much of my time being like, you don't like it, whatever, I'm going to publish it on my website. And oh, you don't want to sponsor this video? I'm just going to make it anyway. Like I have done a lot to just like create a body of work that I am really attached to. And so like yeah. trying to sell it to someone else is challenging because other people have opinions and thoughts yeah. and people will read it and be like, you spelled this wrong because you're super dyslexic and mm -hmm. all this stuff. So, um, well, yeah. you know, that's how the climbing zine started. Really? It was people wouldn't pu publish my stories. <laughs> oh my God. And I've written <laughs> five books that, that I've had to publish through my own company too. So if you can, if you okay. can fail as good as me, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I can, I can relate to that feeling of, yeah they say another like classic cliche writing thing is don't take things personally, which is the biggest bullshit ever. I will it's take like, it so personally. Yeah. It's your heart and soul. <laughs> Every, like everyone should take it personally. Do you feel like you have like a chip on your shoulder that, that motivates you in a good way? I think there's, um, I have a bad habit of asking two questions at the same time, okay. but for, I'm, for I have context, a bad habit of answering <laughs> one question with multiple answers. So oh, okay. <laughs> this will be great <laughs> for context. I think a lot of things that publishers or whatever, like I feel like they're looking for something that's already been successful before. So I think a lot of things that come across like, I think Jay, like Jay Z not getting signed by a hip hop label is the classic like hip hop story. But I think there's plenty of people that are, are putting out really creative good things that the industry or a publishing house or a magazine wouldn't recognize but then there's so much value i think in putting it out there yourself and now we're living in a, a day and age where you can actually do that yeah. and and be successful so mm -hmm. um i forgot all the questions now but well, it's funny i'm just gonna stop you asking me a question because when you were talking i was remembering this uh this tweet i saw recently which was like when you start thinking about money, God walks out of the room. Mm -hmm. And I'm not religious, but I think about that for art all the time, like when I'm writing. And like that's, it's so true because, you know, I have to make, I have to eat mm -hmm. and you have to eat. We both have to eat, right? Mm -hmm. And so like I do sell my writing. Like I have, um, I work at Moab Gear Trader, mm -hmm. which I don't know if you have to bleep that out because it's a free plug for that <laughs> company. But, but yeah, like, you know, I, I sell my writing. I write blog posts for him. Um, I work for Outdoor Pro Link as well and I write blog posts for them. And those are, I get some creativity with those, but primarily those are like commercial. Um, mm -hmm. And that's just like for eating. But I write... Uh, about my experiences in the climbing community and they're so powerful to me and I think that they affect people when they read them as well and so it's like and no not no one's necessarily gonna buy it like no one's necessarily gonna buy me writing about how excruciatingly painful it was to suffer through the pandemic in Vitavu, Wyoming and yet also how excruciatingly beautiful it was to be mm. there with those people in that time 
you know, and like it doesn't sell, but it doesn't matter, you know, like I'm going to write it anyway. Mm-hmm. So I, I think for any anyone listening that's looking for like writing advice or writing inspiration, because I geek out a lot on this <laughs> podcast about writing, like uh-huh. I'm always looking for niches that like other people are doing, I think geeking out about writing, but yeah, like just just letting it come from your heart and, and doing it for yourself in the beginning uh, is, is such good advice. But then, yeah, you got to you got to sell it to these various outlets. Like when I was coming up, it was selling it to magazines and newspapers. And now yeah. there's there's a lot more options. But I think that you, you've got a good moral compass and you're writing it for yourself and, and you're writing a lot, too, because I think writing frequently is super important in, yeah. in the development as a an artist or writer. Yeah. Um, I think if you're going to be a writer, you got to do it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and like for me, it was always like, what can you what what can you not not do? Like what what, what is the hell is a better way to put that? What can you what is it that you can't not do? You know, like I I want to see these videos of my friends out in the world because it's important to me that everybody else sees how much they shine mm-hmm. and like no one has to pay me to make those videos because those videos to me have inherent value like their existence is important to me and I hope it's important to other people and the same thing with my writing like my ability to take what's inside and put it on a piece of paper digital or otherwise regardless of whether or not I'm going to get paid for it, I'm going to do it, you Mm -hmm. know? And for me, that is why writing and these videos and even photography in a lot of ways has felt Mm -hmm. so important to me Mm -hmm. is because I can't not do it, Mm -hmm. you know? And I don't think that's just, that's how everybody feels. I think, I mean, I think a lot of people feel that way. Um, But being able to tap into that and be able to allow yourself to feel that I think is really scary because we live in a world where it's like you have to make money and you have to live this life. And I know so many people who are focused on the paycheck and the house and the kids and the dog and all that stuff. And you have to allow yourself to be an artist, you know, and that comes with a lot of baggage and not a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. That's (laughs) a, that's a really good way to put it. Um, I, I do hope, and I, I know that, just from seeing the industry and, and things how seeing how things work, I, I think you'll have a lot of success in in the world as a writer. I hope so. Yeah, and I mean, for some perspective, like I I didn't start making money off writing until I was in my thirties. Um, after writing my like poetry and journals and on napkins and <laughs> stuff like that for years. And now so. it's the note apps in your phone. Yeah, no, I, I still write in journals and I still write, I don't think I write on that. Na- I would write on a napkin if I had to. Um, but yeah, I'll write on anything if, yeah. if the idea comes. Yeah. How, d- how did you go about getting your first interviews with um, these ladies um, living on the road in vans? Um, was it pretty organic? It was fairly organic. The first one I ever did was with my friend Emma, um, who is uh, a Taz, in, lives in Tassie. Tasmania? Yeah, south of Australia. She lives in Tasmania and she was visiting uh, Joshua Tree for a couple months and I was like super embarrassed because I didn't want to like make people feel used, you know? Like I was like, I was like, you know, I just, I want to make this like series and, you know, it'd be really cool if you let me interview you because I think your story is really cool, but like no worries if you feel weird about it. Like I don't want to take your story and I think there's like this huge... um this feeling that I have, which I'm sure a lot of people have when they do interviews, which is like, 
oh my God, I don't want to make you feel like I'm taking something from you or I'm using you just to get famous or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. like I was like, I just really want to tell your story because I think it's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did my first one with Emma and she was just like absolutely a dear um, and kind of let me like fumble my way through my first interview. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really, really great. And then the second one I did was with uh, Genevieve, who is the woman who texted me oh. telling me to meet her in Indian in Creek Pasture. Oh, wow. In Indian Creek. And I, you, uh, that one was um, Dirtbag Before Climber, yeah, right? She yeah, she was Dirtbag yeah. First, Climber Second. Yeah, I love yeah. that. I love that, yeah. <laughs> she, and she called herself that, so I, I don't feel bad about, um, about saying that. Because she, yeah, when I met in jo- her... In, in, and that was a Joshua Tree interview. Mm-hmm. So I feel like Joshua Tree is more than any other climbing area I've been to. I spent a winter there and like, oh, um, five or something. But it was like more than any other climbing area. There's just like <laughs> dirtbag first, climber second, which is which is a cool flair of, of J-Tree. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I like J-Tree. I yeah. have a hard time with it. Um, but I think like if you can go there and spend a lot of time there and not focus too much on the climbing and focus more on the experience of being in Joshua tree, then you can have a really good time. I feel like Joshua tree is the most, the opinions of Joshua tree climbing vary the most out of any climbing area <laughs> anywhere. Cause I love it. Like I yeah. love the climbing. I love the experience. Yeah. Like I haven't spent a lot of time there recently, but like Joshua tree is in top 10 of all time, all climbing areas. Yeah. Like it's just, oh, you can just, it almost has like a smell to it. It's like, like a taste i don't know yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um i mean i like joshua tree too i do yeah. really like joshua you're kind of in the middle this, though. you're I not think, like a. Uh, I don't know if it was alex honnold or hobo greg who said it which is a terrible sentence to say out loud that's a great sentence <laughs> <laughs> hobo greg's gonna love, He's that. gonna love that um i don't know which one of them said it but i remember reading somewhere it's like the joshua tree is a is three star climbing with a five star hang i've heard that one too yeah 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 I hope neither of them said it because then I can accredit it to someone else. But um, yeah, it basically like I think that's that's true. I think that the, the the hang and the experience of being there and like the boulders and the sunsets and the like the night sky and the temps and like everything is just like so beautiful. And like the climbing is like can be really, really amazing, but it can also be like really shitty. Yeah, so it's kind of middle of the road for me. Uh, so Hobo Greg is a, a longtime contributor to the zine. Yeah, and I actually met him in the spaceship in Joshua Tree. That's um, that's where he is. That's where you yeah. find him. And uh, <laughs> they were like smoking a bowl or whatever. And I, ha- you know, I like have short hair and I don't have like any tattoos or I like kind of like yeah. I guess I could look like a square. And they were like passing around and I hit it. He was like, "Whoa, unexpected guy!" And I was like, "Motherfucker, I was I was living here ten years ago and you were like twelve years old, you know." But that yeah, endeared like Hobo Greg to me. And yeah, he's been like a prolific contributor to the zine and. I was just texting with this him this week. It seems like he's doing really well there and like yeah. finding his way and everything. Yeah. I Greg, if you're listening, I hope you're doing well. Yeah, he's gonna have to listen to this. I'm one. gonna send it to him. <laughs> <laughs> what were some things that you learned uh, from other women's van life climbing experiences that were different than your own? And that could be as simple as just people that were more savvy uh, or less savvy. On, uh, I remember the one with Genevieve. She was like pushing her pop pop top up with her feet or yeah. whatever. But like just unexpected things on on any level that you you kind of 
learn through through doing all these videos? I think the thing that I and and this is maybe it's really obvious to the women listening, but it wasn't to me, and that might just be because sometimes I'm kind of dense. Uh, was that like the choice to have a dog was very intentional for a lot of the solo female travelers mm -hmm. that like if you are alone and you're a woman you're and you have a dog you're way less of a target mm -hmm. because people are not going to be like oh that chick has a german shepherd like i'm not gonna mess with her and like i had never like i had, ne had never crossed my mind like mm -hmm. to bring a dog into my situation and there was i think part of that is that like i have done my best to keep myself blissfully ignorant of like the the tragedies of being a woman on the road and and I have also really tried hard in my storytelling to not focus on the dangers of being a woman on the road mm -hmm. and being like a single woman traveling or doing whatever mm -hmm. because I my fear and and my experience is that a lot of people will take like the traumatizing experience and leave the rest mm -hmm. and so your experience of being a woman on the road and having like these amazing like transformative experiences with like friends and people and new experiences and just like oh I sent my first 512 or I did this thing and I you know I painted this sunset and then oh yeah there was this one time when I was at a gas station and this guy followed me into the bathroom and blah 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 and like it's like that's the thing that people remember mm -hmm. and then they forget the rest and I feel like it mm -hmm. in a way minimizes and dehumanizes the experience of being a woman on the road which mm -hmm is so diverse. And also like that being said, I don't want to say that like I'm ignorant of the realities because like while living on the road, I met someone who I then filed a restraining order against later. So like I am very very conscious of like what it is like to be a solo female traveling, but yeah, I didn't want to like focus on that. And so I guess to answer your question like initially I had not even put that in my brain that like some women have already thought a lot about this and like mm -hmm. they would travel with like a baseball bat right next to their bed or they would travel with a, they have a German shepherd or like some massive husky or something like that so yeah that's um being a, a dog owner I have I'm like a co-parent to a dog with my ex <laughs> um and I love dogs but I, I never thought of of that component with solo female travelers of the dog making them feel more secure versus uh having a gun which i'm guessing most climber women and in, in vans maybe some do but a few who do yeah yeah cool that well that's i mean and that makes that makes sense too um yeah yeah wow cool um i mean that's that's definitely like a seems like a an aspect of it's probably a stereotype of when people find out that you're creating content about women traveling in their vans, is there a stereotype that that is inherently res risky or uh, inappropriately risky? Do you ever get that kind of um, feedback from people that maybe don't know as much about it or? Yeah. I think yeah. that within the climbing community, people f typically feel very comfortable. And I think like it's, you know, I forget how safe I feel on the road, mm -hmm. you know, like I, I feel very confident that if I drove right now in my car through the Canadian border to Squamish that I could just like show up at the crag and like make friends and be mm -hmm. safe there. But like the idea of getting into a car driving internationally alone across a border to a new country, 
like for a lot of people is like the most terrifying thing in the world. And that's why I said in the very beginning, you're like, how did you get your start? Well, when I drove to to Indian Creek, the bravest thing I ever did was like go to the message board and ask this girl, Sarah, if she wanted to go rock climbing with me. Cause like at the time I was just petrified and I had, there were so many unknowns, but yeah, I do think we forget that like, yeah, for most people, the idea of being a solo female traveler is this like really overwhelming undertaking. And I do think it's safer now. Like we have cell phones. Like mm-hmm. I can contact like everyone from like the police to my grandmother to my housemates in like, you know, under a minute, mm-hmm. you know? So like we do have more um, security, but I mean, there is also like, you know, it's not cell service in Indian Creek. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. What was the original question? <laughs> I started talking about safety. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, just the the perception from people who don't um, do it that it is that, but it might be inappropriately risky or like mm-hmm. faux pas or whatever. Yeah, um, I think that there are some people who would see that. I think that I have done a lot in my own life to prove to my family members that I'm safe Mm -hmm. and that it's okay. So I'm a little bit in an echo chamber of like, oh, you've got this. But I mean, like, I think that, yeah, there's a very real like perception that like traveling alone is dangerous. And like, I'm not gonna say it's not, like Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, there are realities of being a solo female on the road. But yeah, I guess I just um, have spent a lot of my time trying to promote and focus on all of the joys of being a woman on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, I have had the experience once a long time ago. Somebody interviewed me about um, being a woman on the road. And it was like this super weird interview where he just really wanted to hear about all the bad things. Huh. And it was kind of like, can you just like give me your, your trauma and, and, and so I can write about it? Like, yeah. I mean, he didn't say that, but he was like, so what's like the worst thing that's ever happened to you on the road? And like, mm-hmm. can you tell me about that? Like mm-hmm. he was looking for that like shock and like awe kind of like mm-hmm. experience. And it was just like, oh, this is icky. Like I'm so much more than that, you mm-hmm. know? Like there's so much more to all these women who are rock climbing than like one or two shitty experiences that have happened to them, you know? Right. Right. So. Well, and shout out to all the great dogs out there. <laughs> Just like the dogs keeping their, uh, yeah. their owners safe. It's, and I think it was Cooper and, oh man, Genevieve. I'm so sorry. I'm forgetting your dog's name. He's a little bear. He looks Can like you ever bear. feel bad about forgetting a dog's name? Well, the dog doesn't know. Yeah, right. <laughs> Even people, I like I like it when someone doesn't know my name. <laughs> or they call me a wrong name. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> Who are you? Yeah. Logan? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um, and also shout out to the Indian Creek Message Board. Um, oh, my God. Big shout out to the Indian Creek Message Board. Yeah, this is um, when Tommy, and I, Tommy Caldwell and I were talking. He was like talking about this, the new Starlink shit that Elon's doing, that there's going to be in eight months, you can have internet anywhere. Which, Not in fuck you, movie, Elon. Um, yeah. But um, he, he said we are Luddites, like people that, because I, I actually think it's really good to disconnect from a phone. And I don't think that's because I'm a Luddite. I just think for my mental health, it's good because I don't think phone addiction is good. And I think that basically everyone who has a smartphone, especially if you do work on a smartphone, or even if you don't, like so many, we're just all kind of addicted to our phones and this is like a new thing and, and we're not figuring it out. But just the Indian Creek message board is this magical thing. I I stop 
and both of them, every time I go both ways in the creek, the super crack one and the Bridger Jack to leave zines. I um, get a couple of my zines are from that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And I, I look at that as like a message in a bottle, like kind of like the hopeless romantic poet type that I am. Like I love le- leaving something and then I, in five minutes it's gone. I just like love that. But it seems like the Indian Creek message board like changed your life almost. Yeah, I never thought about <laughs> it like that. But yeah, yeah, the Indian Creek message board changed my life. And like that's if you a ever really write a book, title to a piece. Yeah. <laughs> or a piece. And if you ever write a book, maybe that should be like the beginning of your book. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, but it seems like you're really into office. Yes, I am. There's a Girls Gone Wide shirt sitting next to us on the couch. Yeah. And I just watched that film, um, binging on your material. <laughs> <laughs> and my, my cabin fever winter I've been having. Um, but uh, so was crack climbing like your gateway into off with like did you are you one of those people that just really loved crack climbing right away or was it an acquired taste or well um it kind of goes back to the very first question you asked me which is like how did I get started well I had never crack climbed in my life and I went to Indian Creek and I spent 11 days in the desert learning how to crack climb meeting some people that I still am in contact with today uh, who have changed my life more so than the Indian Creek message board. Well, maybe not. Cause it was the, it was the, it was catalyst. the gateway. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I fell in love with crack climbing and I did my very first trad lead, uh, on the South six shooter. Nice. Yeah. So yeah. Crack climbing, like it hit me like a drug. It, it like, and yeah, it hit me really hard. Um, and I basically, from that moment on, I just dedicated my life to climbing. Like it was very much like a, had never been crack climbing before went to Indian Creek, learned how to crack climb, changed my life. Mm -hmm. Now I'm always here. Yeah. And so that was basically the last five years, four years of my life. Mm -hmm. And the reason I got into off with climbing is because I actually, um, I ripped a piece of gear while I was teaching myself how to aid climb, which for aid climbers is like, yeah, no big deal. Um, But at the time, it was like the first time I'd ever ripped a piece. And I was on like the leaning tower or something like that and took this big whip in Yosemite in Yosemite. Yeah. yeah. And I took this big whip and I just like, I lost all confidence in Mm -hmm. my gear. Like it just like, it was a switch turning off. And I just, from that moment on, I had about a year and a half where I just like, you know, I was, I was like projecting five twelves in the Creek and I was like, yeah, I'm feeling like a strong crack climber. Like I got this. And it just like, it took me back. Like I could not top rope. 510 in the gym Mm. like I was shaking I was Mm. having a lot of like I was having a really hard time mentally with my climbing and um I started off with climbing because in off with climbing you're always on top rope Mm -hmm. um but it's also really really hard Mm -hmm. and so for me well not always (laughs) (laughs) I mean the hollow flake in Yosemite (laughs) now you can protect that with sevens yeah (laughs) You're almost always on top rope. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's never easy. That's that, for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and you're typically you can keep yourself up on on top. Rope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and by that you're for people that don't have this visual, you're saying that a technique common and and off with is placing your gear in front of you and then kind of walking it with you yeah. until you don't need it anymore. Yeah. And then doing that with the next piece. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and that's typically, yeah. that's how I climb a lot um, is basically mm-hmm. keep myself up on top rope. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, thank you for explaining that. I actually said that to someone once and they were like, 
all the stuff in Girls Gone Wide you just did on top rope? <laughs> right. That's so lame. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, well, it's not really on top rope. I mean, it is. But. Oh, and, and your friend uh, Mary <laughs> sandbagged the shit out of you, right, with that run out? Like, oh, man. Um, yeah, well, that, that film, was yeah. the sketchiest thing that we did that freaking month is when I was on top rope, but it's a traverse, uh-huh. and she ran the cam out 20 yeah. feet. And it's just Which like, is one of the worst feelings in climbing because you you don't have control over your run out. Yeah. 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 That was, was funny. You were like, that was a really great moment in the film because you were like, <laughs> she was like, are you mad at me? And you're like, we have to talk about this later. Like, <laughs> we need to compartmentalize this. Like, let me get through this. Like, it was a nice way of saying, fuck you. <laughs> I really, I was, in the moment, I was like, I can't talk about this yeah. right now. I have <laughs> totally. to do some really hard 5.11 off with climbing with no gear. And if I fall out, I'm fucked. Yeah. And um, you got through it. I got through it. It was, yeah. it not was actually. Not to spoil the film, but you survived. I live. You're well, not, I'm here to You're not in the also. cast. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was basically how I got into off of climbing is that I, I wanted something that made me feel safe and something that was going to challenge me physically. Hmm. That's really interesting. The safe part. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and do you feel like you, you've gotten back um, to your tr- trusting gear and, mm-hmm. and everything like that? Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm yeah. actually trying to turn a new leaf and get into finger crack. Climbing uh-huh. Cool. Because uh, I went out with some friends, uh, locals who love uh, some local ladies who love rock climbing as well. And one of them has been projecting Puzzle Factory for a long time, which uh-huh. is a really classic 0.5s crack in yeah, Close of Insanity? Mm-hmm. Yeah, close yeah, of Insanity. Yeah. And she led it and made it look so beautiful. And it's a beautiful climb. And then I got on top rope and I could not do a single move. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, this is like, I know I'm strong enough to do this. There's yeah. something I'm not getting. And it's all like, it's, it's going to be technique. It's going to be pain tolerance and the thing I love about rock climbing is the ability is like breaking it down into pieces and like, it's always just figuring out the technique and getting strong enough, you know? And yeah. Like, it's just that part unlocking the beta. It feels mm-hmm. so amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, I do, I do. And that's my own climbing has gravitated from, I had a off with phase mm-hmm. and now I'm in the finger crack phase, but I'm also in like the, well protected i want to get stronger but i want to feel safe phase of my climbing just in my 40s that's kind of what i've gravitated towards um but i do love that it's like you can you could go to the same crag and have these crazy different experiences because off with is some say the slowest form of climbing um aid climbing might contend for that (laughs) but like (laughs) the amount you move in aid climbing is so different but then like a finger crack it's like you can't slip once on a really hard finger crack. And if you do, you're fucking out of there. And you have to be perfect. And the, yeah. the precision of finger crack climbing is what yeah. attracts me to it. Because yeah. in off width, I think it's all burl and like it's all, it, it's grit really. Like mm-hmm. when it comes down to it, it's like, do you have the ability and the, the, the emotional strength to just keep going? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not necessarily super um, delicate. Mm-hmm. Whereas like finger crack climbing is, you're right. You have to hit it perfect every time. Mm-hmm. And that almost is, is, is more addicting. Cause it's like, Oh, yeah. I got it that one time, but I didn't get the next time. And I got to get this time. I didn't get the next time. Yeah. So. And it like makes you be in the moment. Yeah. Um, something else you're making me think of, um, from the film and, and we'll put the link to the film in our, our show notes. Um, was it Mary was saying in the film that you feel comfortable taking whippers in off with, <laughs> which seems counterintuitive to you gravitating towards off with to be like, 
like you you feel this freedom to fall on off with which isn't it doesn't was that just it that clip in that moment or do you really feel that like freedom to take a whipper on an off with well whipper is like a it depends on your definition fall, of whipper. Yeah, the, yeah all the fall. sport climbers, yeah. if there's any sport climbers listening, they would be like, you never took a whipper. Cause... No, sport climbers don't listen to this yeah. podcast. <laughs> um, <yeah>. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, because I don't really fall above my gear when I'm in off with climbing. Typically, I'm. it's like it's like at my waist or it's like horizontal to me because a lot of the time I'm doing roofs. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm not necessarily like above my piece whipping really far, but yeah, I mean, I guess to, to answer that question, like I do feel comfortable whipping on big gear. Um, I feel really good whipping on double axle big gear because mm. it doesn't, it doesn't turn in the crack. Mm. Um, like cams walk, we all know cams walk, big cams walk even more. Um, but I feel pretty good about whipping on like sevens, sixes. Uh, I have not ever whipped on an eight, but I have whipped on a seven. Oh, I whip on a seven all, all the time. All right, right on. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have sevens are actually overhanging tight sevens is probably the hardest size for me. Yeah, that like um, honeymoon chimney. I've never done it. Never oh, done it's it's. I, I think to. it's sevens. I did it before um, the seven came out, and we like went to Pagan <laughs> and like bought some big pros because we did it one day and it was so scary. And then like my buddy uh, Todd Glue, Todd Glue, if you're listening, he was like just lay it back, just lay it back. And I got through it and then like our ropes got stuck and we had to do it again the next day. But I was so terrified that I made him like drive to Moab and get milts and buy Big Bros <laughs> so I could like actually protect it. But it's not overhanging though. So I don't think it's, it's, it's probably, it's around like crazy hard. But yeah. yeah, that first pitch on the honeymoon chimney that Leighton Core probably did in like 1960 without With anything, which He's is crazy. just such a badass. Um, all right, this is a perfect segue to our um, this is our campfire questions. All right, I'm uh, ready. It's a new segment. We tested this out with Tommy Caldwell, and it seemed to go okay. So. Okay. <laughs> First question: Crack or tufa? Crack easily. Yeah, it was not a not a super surprise. No there. one is surprised. Yeah. <laughs> um, stick clips, yes or no? You use stick clips. I, would you use a stick clip? Yes or no? I would use a stick clip on a sport pitch. Yeah. Easily because yeah. I am really bad at face climbing. Uh huh. I, I'm sure that I have stick clipped. I have stick clipped a cam. Really? Before. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've I've seen videos of Brittany doing that. Yeah. I've never done that. I had a friend sit on my shoulders and put a cam up high because like the rock was super like you know that moab super yeah, schluffy like chinley chinle layer yeah, that yeah, is like yeah. i either you're just like if you put anything in schluffy schluffy is that uh, not a that's, word that's a, it's it is it's, i mean <laughs> <laughs> like it's i've just, never heard that word but <laughs> schluffy. <laughs> schluffy like that like hollow like rotten rotten yeah. rock sandstone i yeah. basically put someone on my shoulders and said will you place this four yeah. above that hollow spot and uh-huh. put the rope to it so that i can climb this without feeling like i'm gonna die so that's awesome yeah um, yes. this, this question is strictly, that one is strictly in there for my friend, Sean, who was the guest host and he, he's like the publisher emeritus of the climbing zine. Okay. He is like, uh, Sean Matasavage, um, such a great guy, but he was with there for the Tommy interview and the Eric, Eric Murdoch interview too. But he's like a guy I've never paid anything for with the climbing zine, but he, the climbing zine would not exist without him because I'm an thank artist. You, Sean. Yeah. Thank you, Sean. Um, I'm an artist first and a business person second. And so I didn't know how to talk to people in meetings. Mm. And he had just worked for Nike in New York City 
and he moved back to West and he wanted to help me with the zine and he would go into these meetings with me and like, we'd actually get sponsors cause we knew how to <laughs> like, just talk to people. But I tell him that everyone uses stick clips, but him and like one other person, <laughs> like the, the, the faux pas of stick clips is just like, doesn't exist. So this is all data to like settle a personal grudge. <laughs> with I'm Sean. I can help. <laughs> yeah, I think, honestly, it's whatever helps you sleep at night. Like yeah. I stick clipped it and then I sent it and I was like, yeah, I send it. Yeah. that that counts but if i like yeah. personally felt like i didn't send it like then maybe i wouldn't use a stick clip but yeah. no that feels right to me okay <laughs> <laughs> you're wrong sean bam <laughs> <laughs> um favorite tower okay i have to say the south six the south okay, six okay this is perfect because i i do want to do a quick hit uh, of a question because you did your 29th birthday challenge 29th birthday and challenge. your birthday challenge your birthday is november 28th 29th oh your birthday is november 29th yes which is three days before mine oh my gosh yeah. we did talk about this yeah because when you said your brother is the my brother's same, is the 28th is the 28th yeah wow that's yeah. hilarious yeah yeah <laughs> but you did 29 pitches on the south six shooter for your 29th birthday i'd actually did 30 you did 30 did that's 30. amazing yeah were you also the officiant in a wedding yes. on the South Six Shooter? And yes. honestly, I think that's how I first knew about you because one, I've also been officiants in weddings before myself. Two, I was there that day. What? Yeah. And there was naked people free soloing it, right? Yes. Yeah, it was my friend Josh and Brad and uh, Geneva, if you're all listening, which is unlikely, but yeah. <laughs> so I, w I was there that day. Yeah. And then um, we were doing our um, turkey shooter run that we do. It's an unsanctioned run. We do it for our friend Adam Lawton, who died in an avalanche about 10 years ago. It's a mm -hmm. tribute to him. And so every year we're up there. Yeah. That year I didn't get to the, get to the top of the tower because it was just so busy, and I was just like couldn't handle the and naked pre-soloists. Yeah, there. yeah, totally. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. That you were yeah, there. I was there. That's yeah. so funny. Yeah. What book do you most often give as a gift or recommend to friends? Man, this is a great question. I don't think I have a good answer for it. Sean gets credit for this question too, so it's not all fuck Sean here. <laughs> <laughs> It's usually just whatever I am reading at the time. Um, I don't. I actually don't have a good answer for this question, which is a bummer. But you're just I, such a big reader that you're just. I read a you're lot. You're always reading. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm always yeah. reading something. Yeah. I'm. I'm also one of those people that puts like six books that are half finished on their bedside table. Mm -hmm. So I kind of like uh, jump around. I would say actually because this is about writing, the book that I most recently read that is has been most impactful on me as a writer. Um, and as an artist, uh, would be, I think it's called Upstream by Mary Oliver. Hmm. And it's a collection of her essays. And she has this one essay that like, is just so perfectly encapsulates like the challenges of being a writer. And she, the way that she writes is so beautiful. Like if I could emulate anyone's writing, it would be hers. Hmm. And she just recently died. Oh. And I like you know, one of my greatest regrets is that I never got to meet her, you know, mm. because I want to tell her like how much her writing has meant to me. Um, but she has this essay and I think at the end she basically says something along the lines of that inspiration is heavenly and I am stained with light and I am not ashamed and I am not afraid. Mm. And I love that image of being stained with light mm. and like 
the question is really, are you brave enough to accept this challenge of being a writer and an artist? And like some people are and some people are not. Mm. That's so, great. That's uh, even a better answer than <laughs> it was a uh, Malcolm Gladwell book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it's Upstream or Downstream by Mary Oliver, but it's a collection of her essays. So, What is a re- unique ritual that you have? that is maybe unexpected in your life for climbing or, or otherwise. Well, I told you I journal every day. Yeah. That is, I think yeah. is kind of unique. Since the fourth grade, that's insanely unique. Since the I, I don't grade. think I've ever met anyone that falls yeah. into that category. I have a box of journals in my, um, in my closet and they're all dated and time stamped. So wow. each journal entry has like the location, <laughs> the day and the time and then what I was doing at that time. That's awesome. Um, that would probably be the most unique one. Um, the other one is not unique. It's just that I like to listen to like really intense girl punk rap before I go rock climbing, like getting hyped up while I'm taping up. But girl that seems, punk rap. It, it's kind of like girl, it's like poppy, but it's like rap and it's also kind of punk and like a little heavy, very like feminist vibes. Like what are, what are some artists? Um, Ashniko. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. Uh-uh. I, I'm AKM. I'm like allergic to punk rock music. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I love the punk ethos. Okay. And the skate ethos. Like that's where zines come from. Mm-hmm. And that's how I discovered yeah. zines was punk and skate culture. So I'm like really weird that like that it's not for you. That I don't like the music, but I yeah. love, I love, love the independence of that. But mm-hmm. all right. So this artist you said was Ashniko is probably Ashniko? my favorite. Okay. She's like a huge pop. Uh, I don't even know how to define her genre, but yeah, it's poppy, it's rocky, it's it's kind of rap, but yeah, it's basically just about being like a bad bitch yeah. and like fucking it up and like bucking expectations and like her music is really raunchy and inappropriate and I get psyched listening to it before I go rock climbing, but that's I not really that. unique. I feel like a lot of people no, do that. Well, it's unique to my brain because I've never heard of this artist and I've never <laughs> heard of this genre. So I think it's pretty unique. Okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> um, last one. Um, what is your favorite failure that you've had in life? Mm. That you've, you've gained, um, you've learned the most from my favorite failure. I failed so many times climbing the Boulder Desiderata in um, Vitavu. And it's a, it's a V4 to V6, depending on who you ask. Um, I hear the like V3s and V4s in Vitavu are really hard. <laughs> yeah, I, I think anywhere else it would probably be a little harder. But, you know, at the time it was the hardest boulder I've ever, I'd ever tried. And uh, it was right at the lip of the pandemic. Um, and I was in isolation in the Wyoming wilderness. And I probably tried that boulder like 25 to 30 times, like 30 individual sessions. Mm-hmm. Like I went and I just <laughs> failed and failed and failed and failed. And I brought people with me and I failed and I went alone and I failed and I went with one partner and I failed and I met strangers there who then flashed it in front of me and then I failed and like, (laughs) like it broke me down. Like it was like, I wanted it so bad and it represented so much more to me than just sending this boulder. And, um, one of my last days in the VU, I went out there alone and it was about, it was starting to, it was going to start raining. And I knew I only had a little bit of time and the clouds are rolling in and the storms in Vitavu are torrential. Like they're, they will, 
just, they will destroy you. Um, so you do not want to be caught in this storm. So I was like, all right, I'm out here. I got to do it. And I went and I think I gave it like five or six burns in a row. And I was like waiting for 10 minutes and then doing a burn and waiting 10 minutes and doing a burn. And on the last one, I just like, I fell out and I landed and I was alone and I was in the middle of nowhere with the storm coming at me. And I started crying and I was just like, I am such a failure. Like, I cannot do this. This is easy. It's a V3. I sh like so many of my friends have just walked up and flashed it and I can't do it. I, I sat down and I actually wrote it out. I wrote out this, all this stuff about like, I'm a failure. I can't have a relationship. I'm a failure. I can't keep a job. I'm a failure. I can't do this. And it was this like outpour of just like, yeah, I fucked up so bad. Um, and I sat there and it started, it was starting to rain. And, um, and I was just like, I'm just going to give it one more burn. And I sent it <laughs> on that burn. And I sat up on top of this boulder in the middle of nowhere, thousands of miles from home in the middle of a pandemic, you know, isolated from everyone and everything. And I just like sobbed <laughs> as it started to pour on top of me in and uh and then i like came down and told my friends and everyone was psyched but, yeah that's, wow that's probably my favorite failure wow that that's amazing yeah that's so cool that's probably my favorite one wow sorry it's not as rapid fire I think, no as no that was that's another chapter in your book i think <laughs> hopefully we'll see yeah yeah well thank you so much i feel like we're gonna have to do this again because there was more things i wanted to ask you um but this was like a, a great conversation and yeah it's uh this is why i love the climbing zine because i actually get to meet sometimes i get to meet the people i work with and, yeah um yeah so thank you for getting me up to moab and yeah. um and we're gonna go climbing tomorrow yeah you're gonna we're gonna go check out the crack house yeah. tomorrow and i haven't been there in over 20 years so it's another one of my favorite failures I keep failing at that. That's the too. next project. That's so the maybe next the next time you're on the podcast, you'll be telling us about Oof. how you have, you've sent the crack ass. Hopefully. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Kaya. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. That was a conversation with Kaya Lindsay. Really enjoyed that one. Got me up to Moab on a January weekend. That was actually quite pleasant. Moab really shuts down in January and, can be pretty decent climbing temps. We were climbing in the crack house and a little bit of shade and not super warm temps and it was still really pleasant. Um, there was like one restaurant in Moab that was open too. <laughs> Gilberto's, <laughs> shout out to them. Thanks for listening to this one and check the show notes for Keep the Zine Alive campaign and to support us on Patreon. We appreciate you all. And if you appreciate the work that we're doing for you, think about us and uh, check those show notes for those links. Music for this episode is from Devin Dabney. Be sure to check out Devin's American Climbing Project podcast. And our digital editor and producer is Chad Rich from Durango, Colorado. Luke Mihal signing off. Peace.